0: 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. How do you think your experience as a rescue swimmer in the United States Navy has influenced your work as a transformational leader? Oh my God,
1: that's such a good question because it is is directly related. I learned something about myself uh, through that process that I didn't know. So um, uh, Naval Rescue Swimmers have the second, their training program has the second highest attrition rate in all the militaries to the Navy SEALs. So more, more people wash out of SEAL training than wash out of Rescue Swimmer School. But at the time, the Rescue Swimmer School had the second highest washout rate. So um, I, I, I dropped out of high school to join the Navy to get away from my family. I probably didn't have a great self-image. No, I mean, I definitely did not have a great self-image at the time. Um, And the, the best thing that I didn't know I was getting myself into was that the Navy will let you volunteer for absolutely anything that you're willing to do. So I learned how to drive a giant ship. I learned how to drive a fork truck. I learned about technology. I learned how to weld. And then one day, the the captain opens tryouts to the whole ship for naval rescue swimmer school which is unusual and here's the reason because it's so hard they the two that they had transferred and they had sent two more to the school and they washed out they sent two more to the school and they washed out and a naval vessel can't leave the dock without two rescue swimmers on board Uh so the ship was stuck so they opened it up to the whole ship and i ran faster than everybody else and i swam faster than everybody else which surprised me i i just I just volunteered and i when i when i succeeded and i i was i was you know granted permission to go to the school i was very surprised but then more importantly they every day the instructors in this school are doing their best to get you to quit and i and it was hard and i went through two pairs of tennis shoes in the first week my feet were falling apart with blisters and when I finished, I, I remember having a moment where I was reflecting and I, I was just in, I couldn't believe that I graduated. And what's funny is I was a young guy and I realized at the time I must've been a fit guy and I was shocked that I graduated. And here I am many years later at almost 50 and I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I can't believe I was a Naval naval rescue swimmer. So what it taught me, what that experience taught me was that, it, and this this, this has been reinforced now several times throughout my career as an entrepreneur, but it's not about being talented. It's not be about being the best or being the brightest. It's really just about never giving up. Any so other- So grit, mm-hmm. having grit is a, mm-hmm. huge, is a huge thing. It's, I think it's hugely important to accomplishing our goals.
0: Any specific personality traits?
1: See, I don't, I don't know that grit is a personal I mean, I guess it is a personality trait, but I, I think it's definitely something that could be nurtured. Because, I mean, I don't think I had grit as a kid. Like, I, I feel like I just took beatings, uh, and you know, I'd wake up the next day, and and so, I, you know, I shy away from stuff. I'd avoid stuff. I was super shy. i mean, I, I was an introvert. I guess I'm still an introvert. Um, but it wasn't until later where like rescues from school, I just decided I wasn't going to quit and I didn't quit. Um, And then there's been many after that, there's been many encounters throughout my life that were just miserable. And just, I just wouldn't let quitting be an option. So I, so persistency maybe, is that easy? No. I mean, I, I, I got to so my businesses had its ups and downs, like most entrepreneurs' businesses, although it was like a hockey stick until it wasn't. And so when it wasn't, when the hockey stick flipped upside down, it started heading the other direction. Uh, that was terrible. I was like gut-wrenching because it was, you know, basically my first child, my business. And uh, through that process, I was diagnosed with PTSD. There was a point in time where I I couldn't speak without having a panic attack, and I just didn't quit.
0: And how did you cope with it?
1: lots of meditation uh i confronted it head on um i would conduct meetings and over time i learned that i could be having a full-blown panic attack and the people sitting across from me didn't know it that was super useful because what that helped me see was that even though i'm feeling just shut down inside and maybe um my uh imposter syndrome is kicking into high gear but the the person sitting across from me sees me performing and so it became less scary that was really helpful because when i first was diagnosed with ptsd i thought my brain was broken and i was afraid that i was going to be broken forever and what was super helpful is that as i didn't give up and i confronted it and i just worked almost like physical therapy i just worked and over time it became less scary, meaning I'm not afraid that this is going to inhibit my performance and it made it easier for me to just proceed and eventually it, it abated.
0: Does it have anything to do with uh, inspiration to become transformational leader?
1: So th- that another super interesting question. So I, I think I'd mentioned, so inspirational or transformative leader, or what some people might call a servant leader, leadership in service of your team. So I, I today fundamentally believe that a leader's key performance indicator is that we enable our stakeholders, so whether that be our team members, our customers, our stakeholders to define and deliver the necessary and expected results. Nobody hires a leader because they want their organization to be the same in a month, six months or a year. So that's one approach to leadership. Our job is to play for the team and when the team is successful, we're successful. So I am leading in service to my stakeholders. The other model, which we're all too familiar with, is the command and control model, or the I tell, you do model, where the leader tells everybody on the team how to do their jobs, and the leader makes it super clear that they need to be on time, they need to be perfect, uh, they need to never have anything that's not under control so that boss can get their bonus. So to answer your question, I had to frame it a little bit. Mm -hmm. I grew up in gangland, Los Angeles, Uh, so that gangland los angeles's model is command and control my dad is ex-military so his model was command and control and then i joined the military immediately before graduating high school even um and that model is command and control well with the exception of the special forces uh so i my whole childhood was seeing people with authority as leaders but this isn't true and so when i when i left the military and i got my first job i did use my authority to motivate outcomes. Like most people at the time, this was 1996. This is when CEOs were still screaming at people in conference rooms and firing them. You know, we we, we cannot talk to people like that anymore. (laughs) Uh, And not that it felt good then or was a good thing. And so I remember using my authority to motivate outcomes. And then sometimes I would just have a human moment where I connected with a stakeholder and we collaborated together to get something done. And I, I guess I am fairly reflective as a human being. And I just remember one felt better than the other, mm-hmm. right? And so I started dissecting this and I started reading a ton and I realized that a leader, a manager and executive has authority and they can use that authority to motivate an outcome
0: mm-hmm.
1: or they can use their influence to motivate an outcome. Mm-hmm. I, I realized initially that it felt much better to use my influence to motivate an outcome than it did my authority. Mm-hmm. Over time, upon reflection, I also realized I got much better results when I used my influence as opposed to my authority. And so and then, so I started asking people questions when I when I give talks in front of audiences. I would describe the boss, that, that leader who made them feel like their job was to show up and work really hard so the boss can be successful. And then I'd ask him to shout out a one word emotion for how that made them feel. Um, and it was never positive. It was always negative. Have you worked for that person, that command and control person, Martin? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Give me a
1: one. Give me a one-word emotion that that person made you feel. Even fear.
0: Even fear. fear.
1: Even fear. Right. Terrible. Mm-hmm. Now, hopefully you've had the experience of working with a leader. And so I, I described this person as somebody that, that lifted you up, that, that gave you feedback, but that you felt was in service to you. Like they weren't criticizing you. They were giving you the information that you needed to be successful, that they really wanted to help you succeed. Give me a one word emotion for how that person makes you feel.
0: Well, I, w- I would say unbelievable energy vibe, emotional, positive emotional vibe. So what wouldn't you do for that person? Right, and and so
1: I, I asked this, and universally, it's always the same: negative response to how the boss made them feel, positive response to how the leader made them feel, and and this, I mean, this really gave me insight into how motivated people are in the command and control model. Not very motivated, probably clocking in, clocking out, uh, hopefully looking for their next job. The boss is telling them how to do their job. So they're not leveraging the collective IQ. All of the solutions to challenges or opportunities are only as smart as one person. Innovation's not possible. Over here in the leader model, where we're serving the team, ensuring that helping them architect their own roadmap to a shared goal, they're motivated, they're they're inspired almost. <clears throat> and the leader is facilitating discussions around how they would get to a shared goal so the solutions are smarter in this model innovation is possible and it feels better last thing that i realized is control is an illusion Mm -hmm. people talk about holding people accountable really do you see anybody pouncing on anybody and grabbing them and wrestling to the ground and holding them accountable well you would, in a, at least in the United States, you would go to jail if you did that. Mm-hmm. So we can't really hold anybody accountable. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's not true to believe that we can make people be accountable. And so I finally concluded over a, this huge journey of transitioning from command and control to a servant leader, a transformative leader, that choice is critical. The second I demand or insist that somebody do something, their natural reaction is to resist. Mm-hmm. If you bring a fight, expect to meet resistance. Whereas if I give people a choice, I say, hey, I think this is you. Is this you? And you say, yeah, that's me. That's my role. That's that's my expertise. And I say, I think we need to do this. And you agree. We do. and I, And you agree that it's you. And then I ask you, OK, Martin, how would you accomplish this thing? And you tell me, and I think the way that you would do it will work. I'm not thinking, is this how I would do it? Because how I would do it is not optimized for you. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, do I think this will work if what Martin is saying he wants to do, first, it's going to be optimized for Martin. Two, you will have figured this out on your own. I've, I've helped elevate you. And three, I agree that this will work. I've just increased the likelihood that it will work. The solution is smart as both of us. And if as a leader, I do this with an entire team, we're innovation is possible. So, tying this all back to the question that you asked, purpose is is huge, and I think keeps me going. When and my purpose is to inspire others to reach for their potential. I'm a I'm a an alumni of the Stagan Leadership Academy, and one of the things that they do is help leaders determine why they sh- why they show up every day because it's not for the paycheck. We need a mm-hmm. paycheck. We all need money, but Gallup found that what it, what truly inspires us in the workplace once you take money off the table is mastery, autonomy, and purpose. So one of the things Stagan does is help us figure out what we value, and therefore what our purpose is as a leader. And you know, we all have all of us alumni have different purposes, and mine turned out to be uh, that I I I I strive to inspire others to reach for their potential. So, you know, I I have a bad day or (laughs) I'm struggling with PTSD. I just stop and I think, you know, why do I why do I do this? Well, fundamentally human beings want to be successful at home with their families and in their lives. So that's always the first thing that comes back to me because I want to be successful in my life. And then I ask myself, what's my purpose? And my purpose is to inspire others to reach for their potential. And I just go to work.
0: say inspire you use actually you spoke about influence as well so authority and the influence how would you define that influence in, a, in, a, in the, a concrete way
1: influence is a couple of things first a leader seeing what could be next so their teams or stakeholders can make what's new so vision once I have a vision or I, I see what could be, or I, I see a possibility that would create value. That's the other thing. It's got to create value. I would find people who would would relate to that value that's created because that's the why behind why we'd be doing it, the value that needs to be achieved, right? So I have a I have a vision. I figure out the why or the benefits. And then I clearly articulate them to you and you get excited about it. Cool. You want to participate. Okay, mm-hmm. then I help you architect your own roadmap to our shared why, mm-hmm. all right? So I work with you to set you up, to identify your next steps, how you're gonna approach it, your goals. And then I, su- then I support you and I'm mm-hmm. there to lift you up. I'm there to give you feedback that might help you improve and get closer to your goal. And, I can, and what's great about this is I don't need any authority to do this. Mm-hmm. So I can be a manager and executive with authority and I can use my authority to motivate outcomes, but authority is not very motivating. Or I can use my influence to motivate outcomes, meaning I have vision, I see what value would be created, I find the people that would be inspired by this, and I help them architect their own roadmap to a shared goal, which is them reaching for their potential. And then I support them along the way where there will be misstep steps and deviation from the, the plan and, and things that are unknown. This is very much like Martin Luther King. Nobody appointed Martin Luther King to be the leader of the human rights movement. He just saw a need for change. He shared his vision for that change and the benefit of that change, the why behind the change, and people followed. And they didn't follow because it was Martin Luther King's why. They followed because it was their why. Mm -hmm. He just was Mm -hmm. the leader, Mm -hmm. right? Like movements aren't just about the leader, although they get all the credit, but it's really the followers... That get aligned and buy in and do all the heavy lifting. So the real, the real heroes of a movement are really the followers.
0: Re, uh, now, now the the hardcore question, namely that same Gallup has Q twelve test for engagement, yeah. and engagement is really in bad shape, not only worldwide but but in the states as well. So, what are your experience regarding?
1: This is a I love this question. So this this one I was drinking the engagement Kool-Aid for a long time before I really figured it out. In fact, I was teaching engagement and in re- retrospect I I don't think I was teaching it correctly. So I I want to just take you on a on a journey. I'd like you to
0: reflect Jason you're a last... very honest very honest person. So you I did try. something and absolutely great. Fantastic. <laughs> I mean, used. I got something wrong. No, I no, get it no, wrong that's, all that's, the time until I get fantastic. it right. Okay. So this one, this
1: one was tricky. This one eluded me for a little while, and I finally, I finally figured it out. So I want to take, I want to take you on a journey. I want you to reflect on the last time you had a great idea that you were super excited about. So what's the first thing that we do when we have a great idea that we're super excited about? We want to tell people about it, uh, and this happens in the workplace quite frequently, where a team member will have a great idea and they want to they go to their manager or their leader and they're like let me tell you about this great idea. Now, the downside to great ideas is that right now in any given moment, everybody's got too much work on their plate. So here's you, you've got this great idea and you bring it to somebody and they're looking for reasons to say no. And often the first thing they say is now is not a good time. And we feel rejected. We're like rejected, but here's the thing, it's true it's, it's not a good time right now. So cool, you got it out there, and now they're thinking about it, right? And there's a high degree of likelihood that they asked you a bunch of questions, which is funny because we then take that as they're challenging the idea. They're trying to figure out why this is not a bad idea. But then I flip this and I ask people, well, when somebody comes to you with a good idea, what's the first thing you do? You ask questions to understand it, right? Because you don't understand it. Martin understands it. This, this is a great idea. He's been thinking about it for like, hours or days or even weeks and now he's inspired to share with you and it's a bad time and if but if you like him you're going to try to understand so you're going to ask questions guess what The thing that we are receiving as rejection is engagement ah uh. it's engagement when you go to if you go to your team members or you go to your manager and you tell them about something and they don't ask any questions and they just nod their heads and they're like yeah that's a cool idea jay you know what you don't have
0: not engagement. good, not good. <laughs> you don't
1: have engagement. Yeah. So this, this, we, we accidentally or unintentionally as leaders because of our instincts, because we feel like they're challenging us. Like we, we were hoping they would embrace us and they would love us, that they would see us as successful and amazing. And the first thing they do is ask questions. And this is why Edward Freeman says challenge, conflict and critique. We need to hold these things as value creating. Right. Uh, And so just questioning feels like a challenge, but it's engagement. So where I flip that in my thinking is when I address a room or I address an audience and there's no questions, nobody challenges my thoughts or my ideas, I don't have engagement. If somebody challenges my thoughts or ideas, and I mean, I'd like them to get engaged and ask questions. And you'd think that it's worse if they challenge my idea, but the best thing is if they'll challenge it and say, Well, Jay Scott, have you thought about this? Well, you know, in my experience, this works out like this. Only one of two things are possible here. They're going to help me figure out that I'd be wasting my time if I were to pursue this path, and that's a great outcome. That's a great outcome. They're helping me. If they can help me see that this really isn't a great idea <laughs> and nobody's going to buy it, it feels terrible, right? Except for if you realize it's a gift because they're helping you see not to waste your time or they challenge it in a way that causes you to improve it, right? Hey, okay, I see this objection. I could see this. And people in the marketplace are going to have this objection. How can we overcome this objection, right? So this thing, this this engagement, I feel like in a lot of books and the way that it's described feels like this... this hey, let's all get together and kumbaya and hug and everything's wonderful. And Martin's ideas are freaking amazing. And we love Martin, except for that's not how engagement works ever, right? It's critical thinking that we're looking for, right? Not positive reinforcement. And more importantly, I read this book called The Mom Test, and I loved the premise of this book. When you come to people with a good idea and they give you compliments, it's just because they don't wanna hurt your feelings. They're not actually engaged, right? Like it, it would be like taking an idea to your mom. Is she gonna tell you it's a bad idea if she thinks it's a good idea? Absolutely not. So it's hard to tell if the positive reinforcement you're getting from your good idea is authentic. However, you know what you absolutely know? The people that are willing to question and challenge you are being authentic. And this is your this is engagement. This is what engagement looks like. And this is your opportunity to figure out that you're wasting your time or how to overcome the market objections because one human's objections is representative of a segment of the market that will have this objection. And it'll allow you either to refine or overcome that objection.
0: How did Next Jump Outfitters helped you live a life of exploration while balancing work and family?
1: So I I started 120 VC, which is our transformative leadership services firm. We help organizations get shit done. 22 years ago, and I I worked to create value, and I spent every other moment outdoors, either sailing or boating, or hiking, or climbing, or off-roading. And so I, I I mean, and I don't know where this, it might have been star school, where I became a rescue swimmer, but like at some point along the way, I became like an adventure junkie. I met my wife, who is super rad and my best friend. And we were together about a year, and then her and I in a 60-foot sailboat by ourselves sailed across from Cabo San Lucas to Mazatlan across the um, Gulf of California, just the two of us, and um, we had to stand watch, right? You couldn't go to sleep because you could crash into something, and there was big winds and big seas, and so it came to midnight, and it was time for one of us to go to sleep, and we decided one would sleep for two hours, and the other one then would wake them up and sleep for two hours, and uh, I woke up after it was my, I fell asleep and I woke up and as waking up, I realized I fell asleep. And I realized, wow, I trust her enough to put my life in her hands. She'd only been sailing for a year. I taught her how to sail. And that's the moment that I realized that I wanted to marry her. So just tying that to adventure. So we adventured together, then we had kids and our kids were, they, they cruised on a sailboat in Mexico before they were a year old. Like they've just grown up adventuring. They don't know anything different. So you can imagine the amount of time and money that I spend on gear. Okay. Yes. And you know, at at points like the time that I went through 10 barbecues to find the perfect barbecue. I mean, my wife is supportive, but she felt like it was pretty ridiculous that I purchased 10 barbecues to find the per- perfect barbecue. Um we were we were basically talking about all of the cool gear that we've found that's that we beat up and it's purposeful, but it's kind of niche and people don't know about it and they're not selling it at REI and It just, it sort of became something that we did that we started getting excited about sharing with other people. And we realized instead of just spending money, we could make money. So long answer to your story, we are obsessed with, you think about what do we do at 120VC? We're all about helping people get the outcomes that we need. We as a family, including my kids, are obsessed with making getting out going easy right? Like, so you figure the average human wants to go camping. They've got from Friday to Sunday night. The, everybody's ready. The family's ready. They get home from work at maybe five o'clock or take off early, like 3.30. On a Friday, they've got to take their gear. They've got to load up their rig. They've got to get all the food together. It's like hours. Then then they drive and get to the campsite. They unload it. They stand it up. They sit there for two days. They break it back down. They take it home. They clean it up. They put it away. This is a lot of work for, like maybe a day, 24 hours at like a campsite. And I think this is an obstacle to people getting outdoors. I think a lot of people plan to go camping, take, take off early on a Friday, and then don't. Mm-hmm. I think they, they stay home. I think there's a lot of people when they hear my stories, they wanna go and, and then they, they say they're gonna go and they commit to going and then they start planning and they're like, God, I don't have any gear. What do I buy? One of the obstacles I think is simply figuring out what you need to cook a meal.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Dude, Martin, I know this isn't a video, it's a podcast, but here's a culinary kit from Next Jump. It's got everything in it that you need, that you need. And so if you were to come to our website, instead of figuring out, do I need a spatula? Do I need a spoon? Do I need a knife? You could just buy the culinary kit on our website, done. So think about it, all the time and research that we did to curate this box, eliminated for you. You just buy the box. That makes the barrier of entry simple, and then you're like, "Well, I need a camp kitchen. Well, we've got a box for that. It's got plates in it. It's got hydro flask mugs in it, right? It's got cutting boards. It's it's literally everything you need. Again, in a corrugated plastic box, which is basically, you know, not gonna get destroyed from water. It's light. It folds flat. So, <clears throat> essentially, what we do is is threefold. We build adventure trucks, trailers and outfit boats to where you don't ever have to pull your gear out of a cabinet and load it up. It just stays there. Okay. And, and by the way, this is all based on our truck, our boat, our trailers. So we're only selling what we have proven lives up to our brutal standards in the fields. And so when it comes to us getting out, if we wanted to go camping, I'm, I'm 15 minutes from now to go my whole family, like an eight-year-old, a 10-year-old and my wife, 15 minutes to out the door, we can pick up groceries on the way. It's the same if we wanna go boating for the weekend, take off and go from Tacoma up to the San Juan Islands, we're 15 minutes to go. When when we get wherever we're going, all the gear is there. And so essentially what we're doing is like I said, we're outfitting trucks, boats, and trailers that eliminate at least 50% of the effort to getting outdoors because they're just ready to go at all times. We're curating kits of gear So you would come to us and say, this is the kind of adventure I'm into. And we would say, here's a list of all of the gear that we would use on that adventure. And you could put it in your cart. Uh, This is all this part, the e-commerce part launches in July at Overland Expo in Bend, Oregon. It's not ready. So if you go to the website, you're like, what do these guys do? um but it'll all be ready so you can put it all in your cart you can buy what you can afford now and then you'll be able to share your cart with your friends and family like a gift registry so if you're like a you know you're like a college student and you want to get started but you have minimal dollars right like you come to us we eliminate all the research you've got to do to figure out what gear you need you can buy what you you can afford you can share it as a gift registry then you're like cool where am i going to go well we're curating itineraries we just spent 15 days in baja california to find five places that are mind blowing. Uh, and so you'll be able to go to our website and say, hey, I want to visit Baja for five days. Great. Go to these spots.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we're doing the same thing. We live in the Pacific Northwest. So we're doing the same. We're, we're going to provide itineraries for, for Canada, for the Pacific Northwest. And over time, the idea is to provide simple itineraries. So if you to come Croatia, to Croatia, next...
0: to Dubrovnik, to. Yeah,
1: to create. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we eliminate the barriers because you're like, okay, what do I want to do? Here's itineraries. What do I need to do that? Okay. Here's the gear. How do I get there? Okay. Now this requires a little bit of a bigger budget. We can outfit your truck, your trailer,
0: or your boat. I mean, it it seems that, There's still some United States Navy mindset in you. It could be,
1: it could be. And the best part about this is, my eight-year-old and my 10-year-old and my my wife are my co-founders in this business. Oh, really? When it comes to rigging the trucks, my wife's putting rivets in flatbeds, like right there beside me. My, you know, my son captures all of our drone footage, like even when the rig is moving, you know, off-roading. Uh, My daughter's out there finding stuff to make jewelry and selling jewelry. Like, they're, I mean, they're right there with us. It's super cool.
0: Business model. How did you organize all all of that?
1: It starts with the 120VC standard. So I Mm -hmm. talked about 120VC being a transformational leadership company. So we, we, again, the reason that we're efficient is because we, we have a, an ecosystem and we have accelerators. And that starts with a standard of what we believe and our principles. And so that informs our approach to how we lead. And then in our practices, we've got enterprise project services, We've got product management services. We've got organizational change services. Mm -hmm. We literally have technical standards for achieving those. So you can go to Amazon and purchase the Irreverent Guide to Project Management, which is an agile approach to enterprise project management. And that is exactly the playbook that we use to lead Trader Joe's nationwide merchant processing system, which Visa and Visa MasterCard called a flawless implementation in record time. It's the exact same approach we took to migrate Sony Pictures to the cloud in nine months with zero service disruption we didn't break anything every single it person on the phone just went bullshit
0: hmm.
1: <laughs> we didn't break anything you can contact the cio you just heard of a cloud migration where nothing was broken the approach is in the book you can buy it on amazon so that would be eight one of our technical standards and so for each of our practices we have a standard we have training and certification for all of our team members and so Each of our businesses, Take 120 VC, has a consultancy, it has an academy, and it has a network. And so what we do is we provide services to help people get stuff done, Mm -hmm. or we can train them and enable them to get stuff done. And then if they qualify, they can get into our network where it's accountability group, where that group of peers is helping them constantly improve their ability to achieve Mm -hmm. the outcomes they need. Next jump, it follows the exact same model. We've got a consultancy where we'll help you figure out your gear or we'll help you figure out your itineraries. Uh, we have an academy where we'll teach you how to use stuff. Um, and then we basically are pulling together a network of, of people uh, yeah. that are part of this movement that we're calling jumpers because we refer to it as jump life. Uh, so it follows the same model like the think of the consultancy as more enablement right so we build rigs we build boats we provide you itineraries the academy is we teach you how to how to off-road right so we're gonna have rallies well you'll meet us up on a sand dune and it's your first rig and you're like i don't know how to do this and i'm scared and you're afraid you're gonna get stuck so you would go with us on a trip and we would teach you how to do it and then lastly in all of this we're building community my marketing company which is called brick and matter or bamco for short same model We provide enablement. So we're gonna help you market, but not marketing for evil, uh, which is tricking people into buying things they don't need. We don't believe in that. We believe in marketing like we believe in leadership. Leadership is enabling people to see the possibilities and then inspiring them to take action. Marketing is the same. If people don't know about the value that you create for them, they're not gonna buy your products. And it's sad if you've got a product that solves a real problem that people need. So marketing, is, is so we're helping companies matter to their to their people. There is an academy for training where we're mm. teaching our customers, people, how to do this, right? So instead of just giving them the fish and coming back six months and being like, spend more money, we'll give you more fish. <laughs> our whole thing is enabling them to be able to achieve each mm. next step and, and uh, have autonomy. And then through that, we're building a network because one of the things that we do is our clients want to embed professionals, and so we'll help them find a professional from our ecosystem. They'll hire them, but then over the course of a year, we partner and we work with them and we train them. And if they reach a point where they've outgrown some of the small businesses that we're working with and they want to go on to a larger business, they they can either come back to work for us or they can, we can provide, we can present them to another client in a position that they're absolutely ready for. And again, that's really the purpose of the network on the 120 VC side, because people will come to work for us, or we'll train them on the client side, they become a part of our ecosystem. And when they're, when they've outgrown their situation, we can help them, right, plug right into somewhere else in the ecosystem. And then you would think, well, that's terrible. You pulled somebody out of your client's account. No, we help somebody that wasn't growing anymore move somewhere else and oh by the way we don't just leave the client hanging we bring somebody from somewhere else in the ecosystem to plug the hole so our clients are never like oh somebody left i'm 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 left hanging i've got to find this stranger we're like no you don't ever have to find a stranger because we'll find somebody in the ecosystem that that's already our people that's already indoctrinated in our in our 12 principles uh in one of our technical standards um, and so we really, uh, we, as a partner, we help our customers create continuity in achieving the outcomes, whether that be uh, projects, uh, whether that be outdoor adventure, or whether that be marketing, helping people see the possibilities so they can be inspired to take action.
0: And in so that... same
1: model across mm. all businesses. We, mm. we call it the 120VC brand community.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and in that process organizational development process what was your biggest challenge and how did you solve it my biggest problem was me oh really
1: yeah so when i i was young i mean you got to figure high school dropout goes gets out of the navy goes to work for four years at universal studios i managed some really big projects for them and it's 27 years old after four years in the workforce I think I can start a company that helps the Fortune 1000 get better results on their projects, pure hubris. Mm -hmm. Now, I did it, of course, but I would say the first 10 years, Mm -hmm. I thought I knew the best way to do it. And so I was trying to do everything my way. I was delivering incredible outcomes because I was awesome. And it was hard. It was really hard. It was like pushing a rock uphill I was not open to the possibilities Mm. so the biggest like I was a knower I and here's the thing I I did I got good outcomes I knew what I was doing but I didn't I didn't get it I didn't get that I was serving I needed to serve them first as opposed to serving myself so the biggest shift which allowed me to create velocity and success in my business was when I started noticing
0: when it was hard so that was around 34. So you started with 24, and I started had... at 27. Ah, 27. And I 27. Stay... 27. Okay.
1: And I'm almost 49. So the company's been around 22 years. Ah, so I, okay. sadly, maybe 10 years ago, sadly ah, okay. maybe 12 years ago, I started realizing that if if it's hard, I'm doing it wrong,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I need to stop and think how else can i do this and i need to seek input and i need to be open to the input of others this is when i started realizing that if i helped others architect their own roadmap to a shared goal right the other thing the other thing that i did was uh i started working with my partner in the marketing business andrew mcguire who's a very talented brand architect, right? Because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a GSD guy. I get the marketing, but he's really the genius behind the marketing. He helped me see how a brand narrative matters and brings about transformative results. We we actually use a lot of the marketing strategy in our transformation leadership strategy. And here's mm. the idea. When I was out there selling project management, even the people that needed project management didn't care. Mm. When we started selling the transformative power of getting shit done, everybody cared. And so the first thing was we started selling the transformative power of getting shit done and people would be like jay we need to get shit done how do we do it and i would just apply our project management standard and i would just apply or apply our product or our organizational change management standards okay so people started talking to us but then we made a commitment we told people we stopped telling people we delivered project management and we started telling people that we could help them get transformative outcomes mm-hmm. so it's like a it's like a social contract, right? Mm-hmm. So it became, this, this shift in our brand narrative was cool and it got people to care because we came up with a brand narrative that solved a real problem that people thought that they had as opposed to project management.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Those people then said, we want that. So we made it, basically we agreed to deliver that. So now we had to assess everything we were doing against that promise. Mm-hmm. It really changed. It changed the way that we were looking at our business uh, it changed the way that we were operating our business. It changed the way that we were we were we were delivering some of our our standards. Um, but then here's the other thing that it did. Now when potential team members come to us, we're not necessarily looking for project managers. We're looking for people that believe in the transformative power of getting shit done. And we start we started attracting a whole different type of human that was into that. So a lot of project managers will tell you project management's hard. My team of transformative leaders are in because they came for that. They showed up for that. So it became this social contract between me and my team members as well as my future team members. It was, it was, it was I, just frankly amazing. So long, long story short, I was the biggest obstacle because I thought I knew everything and that, that all of this was possible because I was incredibly talented. I was a boss.
0: And the emotional when maturity I, was probably lower than now.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I would definitely say that that is the case, right? <laughs> I'm I'm barely I'm barely there, but at this point, I do feel like I have it a little under control. So, the the big shift was, for me, if it becomes hard to be curious about the possibilities, to seek the possibilities. If it's easy and people are happy, it's working. Keep doing that, right? But the second something becomes difficult, I need to open to other people's opinions, seek feedback, right? Like, how can this be better? Uh, And here's the thing now it sounds more like I'm helping, I'm even helping myself with getting others involved and helping me architect my own roadmap to a shared goal, right? I'm open. The other shift was I'm not doing any of this for me. If I serve first, if I serve my clients first, and I serve my team member first, they'll feel great and inspired, right? They'll be successful. And then I'll be successful. So I'd say that those were the two biggest mind shifts and even emotional maturity shifts that, that really removed. I mean, it's very rare that I encounter an obstacle anymore. Just opportunities, challenges are opportunities. Oh, that happened. Cool. Let's, let's dive in and see what we can make of this.
0: Jason in five years. I don't
1: know. I don't know, I'm open to the possibilities. In, in five years, I'd like 120VST to be making a much larger impact than it is today. Um, I think that's easily achievable. I'd like to see next Jump Outfitters in Bamco having a, a, a giant impact. And then we've got, we have literally in our strategic plan an open spot for the next company that we're going to add to the brand community. Um, but I'm really, I, I feel like every, our, our approach to every business creates value for all of our stakeholders, team members, uh, our clients, uh, our customers. And what, what inspires me about that is that I figured out, and I told you this, I've said this several times, that leaders enable their stakeholders to define and deliver the necessary and expected results. And what I've learned over the years, because I've taken over a lot of projects that were in distress and turned them around, that people on projects that are not getting the necessary expected outcomes, their quality of life is kind of terrible. They're stressed out. Mm. They they check their messages. They check. They Slack. They 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 message during dinner. They get yelled at for during it, doing it during dinner. They work weekends, right? And they're afraid that their financial livelihood is at risk. People on winning teams don't check their email or or messages during dinner, they connect with their significant others, they don't work weekends, their quality of life rocks, they feel good, they're winning because human beings fundamentally want to be successful, and their economic prosperity is assured. So really, in the big picture, I am obsessed with enabling people to reach or inspiring people to reach for their potential so where am i in the next five years i i hope i am i'm continuing to inspire people to reach for their potential how i'm doing that or what's attached to that's really not important to me but that's the reason that i get out of bed every morning
0: 21st century entrepreneurship with martin piscaric